Star Wars Monthly Monday number 15. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Happy New Year and welcome to Two True Freaks. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. This is Star Wars Monthly Monday number 15 and from the brink of death, I'm Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. Hey! pretty chipper actually. <laughs> So can you believe it, man? 2010, the year we make contact. Unfrickin' believable. I can't wait. I know it. I know it. I'm ready for our alien masters to, to come down and... It's filled with stars. <laughs> God, I haven't seen that movie in forever either. I'm, I, need I'm, to I, I downloaded it the other day to watch it because I was just sort of dying because I haven't seen it since I was, first saw it. And I remember I loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Completely in, dubbed in Russian. I was just like, uh, "Don't you hate that?" It's uh, it happens a lot in this news group. It's my own fault because I don't pay attention to the little colored flags that aren't, you know, when they're not United States flags. So, yeah. Well, I'll get it eventually. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that again, especially now that it's 2010. And now, we're I way wanted behind. To, oh, I know it. Well, I wanted to talk about. Uh, Christmas swag in particular, yeah. Star Wars Christmas swag. Now, you got some swag the other day that wasn't necessarily Christmas because you bought it for yourself, right? But it was still well, awesome Star Wars nonetheless. No, right? it's, we can, we, it, I can definitely say it was Christmas because it was a $25 eBay gift card that I got for Christmas. Oh, that's right. So it was made for me to spend, and it got all spent on Star Wars, baby. <laughs> and I haven't got one of the packages yet. I've gotten one of them already. The package I haven't got is about 37 Marvel Star Wars comics. Sweet. Filling in a good chunk of the blanks that I have. And also including the awesome Michael Golden one, which we'll be discussing late, oh, later. Oh, you got that one. Oh, issue. okay. Yes. Whoa. A whole bunch of them. All scattered through. It's, it's a good chunk it's like three chunks, a beginning chunk, a middle chunk, and an end chunk of the whole shot. It's like a third of the run, really. So now, that's coming if to me. If you don't me. mind my asking, what did, you, what did that set you back? 
that set me back. I won the auction for nine dollars. Damn! I think I paid five forty-five. That's sweet. That's that's less than handling. fifty cents an issue. Then that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, and they all look like they're in great shape. They're not boxed and boarded or bagged and and whatever. But I don't really give a flying fuck at a rolling donut about that. So <laughs> it works out great for me. And the other one, this is this one's a. A little longer story, but it's pretty cool and sad at the same time and awesome because I uh, I got the number one, number six of the Star Wars posters magazines. It came out probably around, what, 78, 79? Yep. And can you hear the snowblowers running outside my window? I do hear that. That's a snowblower, baby. It's And it's (laughs) coming down tonight. We got a, a storm coming in from Buffalo. Anyway, um, um, these are the those are the exact two. I only had two of them ever in my life when I was a kid, and it were it was those two. And I found this auction for two of them, and I ended up seeing that nobody had bid on it. There was probably like two or three hours left on it, and so I bid the opening volley, which was five bucks, and four bucks for shipping and handling and I want it and they're in great shape but here's the weird thing about them they're from the Dave Stevens estate and uh Dave Stevens the the artist and I think he wrote he was writer artist of Rocketeer creator of Rocketeer creator creator of Rocketeer and he's sort of the one who brought Betty Page back into Vogue by using her as a sort of model for the heroine of the Rocketeer. Well, if and, I'm not mistaken, in the original Rocketeer comics, Cliff Secord's girlfriend was Betty Page. Was I'm Betty almost Page positive it was, was and that they changed her in the movie to be somebody completely different. But in the comic, I'm almost positive that it was actually it supposed was to be Page. the real Betty Page. I uh-huh. could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Well, anyway, I guess he died in 2008. Yep. And uh, had a collected a bunch of stuff and his family held on to it till just about a month ago and you know decided that they would sort of make a big deal out of it and sell it all on ebay so it came with actual like a certificate of authenticity that it you know that it belonged to dave steven i don't stevens i don't know what influence that has on the value of them, I don't really care because they're not anything I've gotten to like, you know, put in the vault till I have to sell them. Unless, <laughs> you know, I mean, times could get that hard, but I don't plan on parting with them. But, uh, but I, I think it's came just with neat. a little certificate with a yeah. little puffy dog face that says "Art for Arf's sake," A R F, and you know, cert- certify the Dave Stevens estate with, with. I don't know who's it was. It was a woman with the last name Stevens. I don't know if it's his widow or his mother or sister or something. But weird, you know, kind of kind of sad that Dave Stevens died. Yeah, um, that was sad news. I remember when that story broke. I thought that was very sad. He he kept his Star Wars poster books in great shape. <laughs> in, I mean, they're exactly like I remembered them. And when I folded out that first poster and it opened up and it was you know the big the you know the 
classic R2 and 3PO with, you know, 3PO with one arm sort of half in the air, and it was just like this rush of... Are they in the oh hallway of the of no, the tented floor? Tattooing. Oh, okay. And uh, I remember. And as soon as I opened that, I remember. You know, I can just see it hanging on the wall in my room when I was a kid. So, Merry I Christmas. Have, I have one that's actually from Star Wars. I, I know I have one or two that are from. Jedi. Oh, Jedi. And I can remember those because one of them is the one where the where the B-Wings are blowing up a Star Destroyer. I can't remember what the other one is. But I can't remember for the life of me what the Star Wars one folds out into. I want to say it might be a giant Chewbacca face. I can't remember now. But I'll have to see if I can hunt those up. And Now you got me curious. I haven't looked at those in a long, long time. But, uh, well, I... I didn't get much for Christmas this year because my wife and I, we really concentrate on the boys, you know. But we, we usually, despite our pact to not get anything for each other, we always end up sneaking a little something in there for each other anyway. And uh, so my Christmas was primarily a Star Wars Christmas. I got, and I knew I was getting this, but it's still awesome to finally actually have it because she put it up. You know, she was like, all right, well, I'll get you that, but I'm putting it up for Christmas. So I got my two-pack, finally, the Star Wars comic two-pack. Uh, it's called Star Wars Comic Packs. And it's got the uh, Lamaya figure and the Luke Skywalker. I love this thing. God, it's awesome. And uh, for, for the time being, it's still in the package. I, I didn't open it. I haven't, I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to open it or not. I'm so tempted to rip it open and play with it like a little kid, you know. But for Do the it. moment, it's, it, I, I need to. I, I probably really need to. But uh, plus, we found... The one now, I, I got this thing and uh, and I got it home and was looking at it. Actually, you know what? It's not on the back of here. I don't know where I found this out, but anyway, part of this same series, there was another two pack, and one of the two figures in it was Kyle Katarn. Now, Kyle Katarn is um, I don't know what you would call him, the hero, I guess. He he's the character that you play. In that Star Wars Jedi Knight, you remember like Star Wars Dark Forces and Star Wars Jedi yeah. Knight and those different video games? Yeah. He was the character that you played in those games. And he, he's ended up becoming something of a big deal character in the expanded universe. And I remember when I, when I saw this two-pack at the store, the one, the one that I got, and the day I bought it, I remember seeing this other pack on the shelf... But for some reason, it didn't register to me who was actually in it. And it wasn't until later when I was at home and looking up this new line of figures on the Internet that I realized who was in that other pack. And I was like, oh, Scotty would love that. So I went back like the next day to pick it up for him for Christmas. And of course, it was gone. So it was like, shit, you know, and then the hunt was on. So like all Christmas season long, we were trying to find this thing. And like within like the, the last couple days before Christmas, finally found one and gave it to him and he you know the he game was really is a foot yeah exactly so he was really excited to get that he thought that was totally cool that they made a figure of of that character from his video games and then i got an awesome awesome black and white no color in it at all it's it, but it's really cool I, I think it's actually cooler because it doesn't have any color in it it's a boba fett t-shirt and he looks bad ass is it a mark echo uh, you know, I don't know. Could be. If it's a Mark Echo, I know that what the shirt you're talking about. There's a Chewbacca one like that that's fantastic. 
Yeah, this one's totally awesome. I, I'll, I'll see if I can get a picture of it, take a really good picture of it, and I'll, I'll post it up on the forum so people can see it. This really trendy ghetto wear company called Mark Echo is making Star Wars clothes. It, some of them are a little cheesy, but some, a lot of them are just awesome. Yeah, this one, this one, there's nothing cheesy about it at all. It's, it's Boba Fett, and he's like aiming his, his weapon at you. It's, it looks like it's right out of Empire. Right. It's got the little Mandalorian symbol up, yep. up in the, uh, the upper well for me it would be the on my right so it'd be your left as you look if you were looking at me and then down in the bottom um right it says star wars but it's just it's great i I think it's the same company that did my ghetto yoda (laughs) t-shirt that i had on at dragon con yeah i love this thing they they do one shirt that we both need that's just it's just clipped up chunks of the marvel comics Oh and yeah, some, and and what looked like they could be some of the Al Williamson newspaper comics too. Oh yeah, but just the individual, some from the movies, some from you know. There's one you know one isolated image I remember is Luke. You know, here I stand, though I may die. <laughs> well, remember that one that we saw at DragonCon? That yeah. was it was the back cover of one of the Treasury editions. Yeah. And it was where Luke and Leia were swinging across the trench and all that. Yeah, I still want that one. I've got I've got to track that down because that was a great looking T-shirt and I I love that piece of art. I think it's Rick Hoberg, but I'm not sure. But I really want a copy of that. But uh, well, along with this figure that I got. I also found out just by dumb happenstance, we were out shopping the day after Christmas, just, you know, kind of deal hunting. And uh, Walmart has these lines of exclusive Star Wars things that they'll put out, like exclusive figure packs or whatever. And there's a three pack that they put out. It's, It's part of their Star Wars Evolutions line. And it's got three rebel pilots in it. And one of the rebel pilots is Shira Bry. And I was like, holy shit. You know, so now there's both a Shira Bry and a Lumaya figure. So th- those are all on clearance. I'm going to keep an eye on those and buy it. I'll also mention, you know, to, to any of our listeners, if any of you guys have bought these things and you don't care about that particular figure in that pack, man, let me know. I'll take it off your hands. I would love to have a Shira Bry figure. But in yeah. the meantime, I'm, I'm watching to see how low the clearance goes on that thing. Most of our listeners probably aren't going to want to part with it either, though, unfortunately. (laughs) They probably got the collector bug as well. Also, I wanted to mention real quick, uh, there's a couple of new uh, Star Wars books that are out in paperback now um, that you can get on the cheap. I picked mine up at Walmart. The uh, Another uh, Karen Travis book. I think this is the first book after Order 66, which I just finished, by the way, and I'll be reviewing that next episode. This one's called 501st, uh, an Imperial Commandos novel. It's by Karen Travis. That one's out in paperback. And then another one called Millennium Falcon by James Lucino, which it's going to take me a long time to get to this one because I'm reading them, of course, in chronological order. And this is like one of the latest books in the timeline. But it sounds really cool because somebody was telling me that this is basically like the biography of the Millennium Falcon. Oh, so that it's like that cool. movie Winchester 44 where it just follows a gun through all its owner's hands. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm excited to read that. It'll take me a while to get to it, but I'm really excited to read that. But uh, That's pretty much all I got. Are we ready to uh, to well, go into our book review? Before we, put, before we put our little Jedi mouthpieces in and do our little fucking stupid Jar Jar jump into the water... 
to go below the sea. I'm just going to say that our regular Clone Wars um, review episode is uh, review is going to be suspended for this month because we've got an extra long Orca's book club. And I just want to say it's because you goddamn kids, you're not reading enough. All you're watching is that fucking zombie tube. So (laughs) read some goddamn books, even if they are Star Wars books. You goddamn snot-nosed brats. Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. Welcome back to Orca's Book Club. This time around, I am joined by Ken Morgan, known as Logan McLeod on the ComicForums.com and host of the Too Old to Grow Up podcast, which you may find at TooOldToGrowUp.com. And he's also a co-host of the Legion of Dudes podcast, which you may find at legionofdudes.com. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks. Appreciate it. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great tonight. How about you? I'm doing very well. Excited to be here. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited to uh, to get into this one. This is, for this time around, we are reviewing Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith by Matthew Stover. This is the um, novelization of the film, and this is the unabridged audiobook version read by Jonathan Davis. This guy reads a lot of these books, actually. He's he does. He does. He's a good reader, too. He is really good. And he, he, I thought he did an extraordinary job in this one. I thought he really, really did good. I'm going to let you go first on this. However, I just wanted to throw out there, you, um, you tweeted a while back, and I, I loved what you said about it, um, when you were actually reading the book. You said something to the effect of, hey, this is a great book. They ought to make a movie out of this. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of my feeling about it as well. When I was done with the book, I felt exactly the same way. Yeah, that was that was, I was reading this, and I'm like, there's so much. And part of this is the difference in the mediums. There's so much you get out of the uh, the book that you just can't get out of the movie, You know, be it that inner dialogue, that inner conflict, that the only thing, really the only way you could experience that in the movie is through the skill of the actor, which as many would say, was lacking in some of the characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. But you got so much more of that, of that internal struggle. You know, you really understood more of what was going through Anakin's head throughout that book. And it was just uh, filled in a lot of the gaps. And in fact, and we may talk about this later, but after I was done listening to it, I went back and watched the movie again. And I was able, as I'm watching it, fill in the gaps that were like missing. Like, oh, okay, well, that makes this part makes a little more sense to me now. Not that it didn't when I saw it the first time, but it just kind of confirmed what I was already thinking in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. And uh, unfortunately, I have not had a chance to go back and, and rewatch the movie since reading this. But I'd be interested now to do that and see how I feel about it. I mean, I like the movie anyway, but one of the things I think really adds to this book is that you get a better appreciation for the story. It really does put a lot more flesh on those bones, but also, you know, the acting is so much better in your mind than it can be on the screen. And there, there are performances in those movies that, that fail to bring across a lot of the subtler elements that happen in this book. And like you say, you don't get that internal dialogue or any of that. And I just, this was really 
the one so far in, in my read through the Star Wars novels chronologically, this was the one that really started to answer a lot of questions. Questions that, sadly, I feel should have really been answered in the filmed version, you know, on the screen and just weren't. But thankfully, I, I thought that uh, Stover did a great job with this. I, you know, I don't know how much was on his own or how much was straight out of, uh, you know, the screenplay or what. But, you know, he just did a really good job with, with giving us so much more that we really needed and just didn't get in the filmed version. I really enjoyed that. And then in the movie, we were left with a lot of, there were a lot of holes that we were meant, left to, not maybe not meant to, but all we could do is kind of fill them in with our own little plot points in our head. So you're like, well, okay, well, where does the droids fit in or whatever? You know, I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head, you know, but like what's going through Anakin's mind? Why does he, like in the movie, it comes across that he's, he's whining about not being made a master because, well, he wanted to be a master. It's an ego trip. The book really goes into detail. No, it's got nothing to do with being a master. It's about saving Padme. He can get more information. He can get what he needs by having that rank. And that's the reason why. But at the same time, it also confirms other things that I already filled in. Like, you know, the whole idea that Padme dies. He's trying so hard to stop Padme from dying from this vision when it's his quest to save her that kills her. Right. You know, and that just can, the book just confirms all that for you. Right, I, I like that. It's a very, I don't think you get that from the movie, but it is very cyclical. The fact that, you know, the, the entire threat that he's so worried about, the, the threat to Padme that he's so concerned over and trying so hard and ultimately destroys him and Padme, you know, their lives together, that threat ends up being himself. And that's great. That's it's it's Terminator esque. You know, it's it's all one big circle that comes back to bite him in the ass in the end. And unfortunately, you just you really don't get any of that from the from the film. I feel it, it really doesn't play out that way. At least I don't think so. But the book really, you know, uh, the the very last chapter lays it right out for you that, that that's what's now haunting him in his mind for the rest of his life is that I did this my obsession with stopping this caused it and you know along with that is also I felt like you really finally got to see what an absolute master manipulator and utter bastard that Palpatine was yeah. that he was really Incredible with the way that he set all this stuff out and got it to play out perfectly, you know. And, and it wasn't mm -hmm. just dumb luck or happenstance or anything oh, like no, it no, might no. come off feeling. And you know, watching the films, you, you, I don't think you get that that sense of just how powerful and how manipulative he was. But the book really lays that out that he steered Anakin totally oh. owned him. And manipulated him into all these situations, and I, I that was the thing I think that I really took away from this was, you know, how how masterfully he manipulated everything, but particularly Anakin, because I've heard the complaint a lot of how fast Anakin seems to go from hero to dark side right. in the film and the book. I don't think it's fast at all. I think that you you feel that slow downward spiral to where when he finally does turn it's not the jarring transition that it is in the film not at all i mean you get to you get to experience that inner conflict what's going on in his head you get to feel that and hear that every moment of it throughout the entire 
you know, however long this is, if it's a, you know, a week, months, you know, it's never really spelled out exactly how long it is. Where, but you're right, in the movie, all you see is this hero of the Republic become this whiny baby who goes into, ends up in an armored suit. Right, right. Well, that was actually something I wanted to point out was that I'm not talking about having to suffer through chapters and chapters of, of Anakin whining either. That really doesn't play in the no, book. I don't think it comes across as whiny at all. I think that that, you know, I, I hate to lay blame, you know, at the feet of, of Hayden Christensen, but I think that is why the movie plays that way. I think ultimately that's on him, but that doesn't play that way in the book. In the, in the book, it really is more of, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, but his obsession is blinding him and ultimately destroys him in the end. And it's not a snap judgment, you know, that he instantly goes from noble Jedi to dark Lord, that it's, that it's a slow, uh, like I say, downward spiral that, that Mm -hmm. he's, he's, it's almost inexorable. You know, he's trying so hard and he's fighting so hard, but ultimately being obsessed is what undoes him. And I, I really enjoyed that. I, I thought that was done and handled so much better in the novel. It really reads and really comes across like it does not in the film. Right. <laughs> well, one of the things that Stover did, and this isn't directly related to your point you just made, but it, I thought of it a moment ago. One of the things that he did uh, as writing this book, you know, to start up a sequence, it's always like, this is what it is to be Anakin Skywalker. This is what it is to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it kind of goes, takes you through their mindset. Yes. Takes you, takes you through there. And it, it's very good. I enjoyed it throughout. But it pays off at the end mm-hmm. as he's being – as he's getting suited up, as he's you know becoming Vader with the helmet, with the armor. This is what it is to be Anakin Skywalker right now and forever and describes in detail the pain, the the sensation, what it is to be – half robot basically forever well i want to uh throw kudos out um chris is not joining us in this segment but uh, my co-host chris we talked a long time ago and i can't remember exactly what the specific star wars subject was that brought this up but he called it man completely with one of his theories about darth vader and why darth vader in the original trilogy doesn't seem as powerful as Anakin Skywalker does in the prequel trilogy was possibly because George Lucas came up with midichlorians and because Anakin as a complete human being, an organic being had such a high midichlorian count when he suddenly becomes mostly cyborg as Mm -hmm. Darth Vader, that that midichlorian count is so far reduced that his powers are, are knocked down. And I don't want to say that I, I thought, nah, that's stupid. I, it's not that I thought it was stupid as I just was like, nah, that's an interesting theory, but I don't think so. The book totally says that. I mean, yeah, it comes absolutely. right out and says that he's not going to be as powerful now because he is mostly a machine. So kudos to Chris, man. He totally called that. Yep, and, and that's it. It's not even just in, in this book, but in a lot of the expanded universe stuff that I've been, I have read, um, it goes through. It's not even a question. You can do it without even talking about midichlorian. It's just the fact that he's not organic. I mean, he's basically you know a torso. It's not even his own respiratory system. There's very little organic mass to him anymore. To Vader, mm-hmm. um, and that alone, it, that alone is what uh, prevents him from being as powerful. 
if I ever, even like in a video game, ever were to see Vader, you know, throw Force Lightning, I'd be a little annoyed because, you know, well, he'd, he'd fry the suit. Not to mention that he doesn't even have organic hands to be able to do that. That's true. <laughs> well, we've talked about, you know, what we liked about it. I think we've really gushed about liking the book. However, um, do you have uh, any things you didn't like, you know, nitpicks or major sticking points or anything like that? Because I've got a couple whoppers here. You know what? I I don't have a lot. I mean, it's the unabridged version that we listen to. It's it's very long. I mean, it took me over the course of a week to to get through it when I can when I can listen to it. It's uh, something like eight nine hours long. I forget how long it really. It's, it's, yeah, it it's is very there. long. It's it's incredibly long. Actually, no, it's much longer than that. Um, but it's also very very detailed. And I think um, I know you specifically asked about nitpicks, but one of the things I really enjoyed was. Uh, the two major Obi-Wan battles just give you such an impression of how powerful Obi-Wan really is. Yes. And it also drives home the point that Anakin is always like, I'm the most powerful, I'm the most powerful. Okay, maybe you're the most, you have the most raw power, I'll give you that. But you don't have the control, you don't have the focus that Obi-Wan has. And that is what is going to prevent you from being a great Jedi, and that is really demonstrated you know, in the book. Um, and the fact that Obi-Wan is such a balanced Jedi, I mean, he is one with the Force through and through, and that is explicitly detailed in there, and that's one of the things I really enjoyed. Nitpicks or, or things, I honestly at this point, and I've been trying to, I can't think of one, because it's certainly one of the best or better um, books I've read, you know, EU or otherwise, or, or, or you know, full canon. Oh, you're gonna dump it all on me to be the nitpick guy. Well, I gotta, I gotta. I, I. That's I, okay. That's as you talk, it something might come to mind. So I'll let you go. <laughs> that's kind of my my stick anyway, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, the the only major one that I really have is you know as much as I enjoyed the book and everything, if it wasn't for my dedication to this project of of reading through, you know the the EU books. I don't know that I would have read this one all the way on my own because especially if this was, you know, if this was an actual in-hand paper novel because the beginning of this I thought was really really rough getting through. The you know, I mean, how much of this? I would say probably a fourth of this is taken up with that entire opener sequence of going to rescue the chancellor off of Dooku's ship, the fight with Dooku and then when the ship crashes. That whole beginning sequence of the movie is what do you think that's fair to say it's probably about a fourth of the of the audiobook it's it's a good chunk yeah i don't know if it yeah it's it's a it's really a big chunk no question and maybe it's just because i'm not real big on that sequence anyway it's not that i hate it or anything it's just i, I you know when i watch the movie i feel like that sequence is really really long and with each subsequent rewatch I get more bored with it because it is I, – I just feel like it's it's clunky and it's a little too long. So maybe I'm, I was projecting a little bit of that into the the reading. But still, he was, he was so overly descriptive and really went into all this stuff, and I just felt like, Jesus, get on with it. But that said, once they're past that part of the book, then I thought it just took off, and it was great. You know, I, I enjoyed the rest of it. It's just getting through that opener is really tough. So, I mean, if anybody picks this book up, you know, on our recommendation, stick with that beginning part if you don't like it because it does get better once you get past that part. So, yeah, he really spends a lot of time 
setting up their their relationship you know how well they work together mm-hmm. um and, and the fight itself with du- with dooku especially where like dooku feels so in control the whole time and where suddenly the tables kind of turn oh yeah it's just, just you, you don't you don't get that moment in the movie at all uh yeah. where suddenly dooku seems to lose control it's like very quickly okay obi-wan's down here comes anakin and his head comes off that's it that goes that the fight goes by way too quick in the movie i think um, whereas in uh, they spend more time in the space battle uh, in the, in the movie than they do in the in the this lightsaber fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're right. I'd forgotten about that because there is a great moment where he takes out Obi Wan and goes into the fight with Anakin, very very cocky. And there's a great moment in the book where it's kind of the oh shit moment. He realizes that Anakin is not going to be a walk in the park for him. Mm-hmm. That that something has changed drastically since the last time that they fought and he very quickly realizes that he's in trouble. So yeah, I did I like that moment. I'll, I'll give you that one. I did really think that that was yep. cool. I think I think that chapter actually is called The Way of the Sith because um Dooku's going through his whole bit about, you know, the way of the Sith is to betray, you know, who who is with you and he's think, he's thinking about betraying the the separatist leaders or what have you when it isn't until the very end where he realizes it's Palpatine betraying him. And that's the way of the Sith. Right. Well, it also lays to rest the, the question of whether Dooku was privy to the fact that Palpatine was Darth Sidious or not. This, oh, yeah. this book states that he did know. He certainly did. And that was always obvious to me. It seemed Dooku was the only one who knew he was he was his apprentice. Even uh, – yeah, I don't think that was ever a question for me, even when even I'm watching the movie the very first time four years ago i felt that that was one of the things and i i don't know if, it, if it's if it's me or if it's on you know if, if the if the thing is on me or if it's on the film but that to me never played clearly to me there was always a a, a little bit of a question there that you could read it one way or the other i i never felt like it was very clear the same thing with uh the sequence where anakin and palpatine are in the in the opera box and having that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, I always got the feeling because uh, Ian, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kellen? Oh, yeah. He's such a good actor that I thought that he was very subtly letting the audience know that I am the guy that killed um, right. Darth Plagueis. That, I'm, that, that yeah. I'm the guy that I'm telling the story about. I thought that came across... Yet sometimes I gotta I gotta be honest I'm I'm a give it to me straight kind of guy you know mm. I want him to come right out and say I'm the guy I'm talking about well, you got that and in the, the book <laughs> yeah the book definitely you know laid that to, that one to rest too yep. that, you know he definitely was you know that apprentice that he was telling the story about so. yeah and I can't believe how many fights I got into over the years over that that scene because most people looked at that oh he was just telling a story so he can get Anakin on his on his on his side in the way of thinking I'm like yes he did but. It was also to us to say, "Hey, remember back in Episode One, the whole there is no father." Yeah, uh-huh, this is this is where that comes back and it's mm-hmm. back at you. And um, I think is there there's still a question as to whether or not well, who actually, quote unquote, created Anakin if it was Plagueis or if it was Palpatine. Has that been resolved either way? And in- not to my knowledge, because that came up at the Clone Wars panel that uh, Chris and I attended at DragonCon, that question came up. And my understanding is that it's still ambiguous, that that maybe Lucas doesn't want to give that answer mm-hmm. one way or the other, that he's kind of leaving it open to, to fan interpretation, which I actually like that because I, I, I will admit that I, I, 
I waffle on that. You know, I yeah. go back and forth whether I think it, it would be really cool in, once again, in a very Terminator-esque way, you know, almost like, you know, you are your own grandfather kind of way. Right. I, I, so I like that angle, but at the other angle, that's a little bit too much for planning to me. That That's stretching the, the boundaries of my credibility of how, just how incredibly... Right, right. Plan, and, you know, well planned. This whole thing was, and he was able to steer and manipulate events and all that. I'll buy everything else, but mm. actually setting up and creating Anakin and all—I don't know if I want to go and, that far. And to me, <laughs> to me, I'm kind of just the opposite. I think that with everything that he has planned up, I mean, people give Episode One a lot of crap, and it deserves a lot of it. But to me, that is a key piece of the of the overall story because th- that whole war i mean yeah maybe it was bullshit maybe it wasn't but that whole war was simply to to get palpatine to be chancellor done that was a key right. piece of his overall plan right that he planned out everything that his linchpin his his major player he's going to leave the chance and just happen to stumble upon or maybe you know on one hand yeah maybe plagueis created him and he found it and he's he is going to watch this thing that his master created and use it into a, his bigger plan maybe I, I can get that but it just seems to me that this is a anakin is a major piece in his in his conquest to bring the sith back mm-hmm. and that's just too much for me to accept that of everything else as he's planned out to the finest detail He's going to leave that to chance, and I—that's I, I, the part I can't—I can't get around. So I'm kind of with you, and I waffle back and forth because I can see both sides. I just tend to lean towards the idea that Palpatine created him using what he learned from his master. But in the book, he also says, "I really don't have that knowledge. We're going to discover it together." So there's more evidence to the idea. Well, maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. I like it being ambiguous. In in the long yeah. run, I, I think that it's best to leave it ambiguous, and, and that way, you know, it, it falls into the the realm of being, you know, your personal continuity. What what do you as a right. fan prefer, and what are you right. most comfortable with? I, I think that's actually more fun that way too. There was um I don't have the details in front of me, but supposedly there was supposed to be a book um on, on the schedule to be written about Darth Plagueis and. I think Lucas, not that he necessarily gets his hands dirty in the EU at much at all, but some things he does have, keeps creative control over, or he has to approve at least. And I think he kind of killed that one because he wants it to be either left ambiguous or they may want to address it or they may come back to it in the Clone Wars or in the live action or in something else. So they, he, I think he wants to leave that open for now. Ah. Now, another uh, thing that I caught, this falls not so much under nitpick, but under, like, just vast disappointment. Did you notice that Kashyyyk is outright skipped? Yeah, it's it's referred to, it's there, and it didn't bug me so much because I really think that was put into the movie to make people happy and see Chewbacca and help take away the taste, of, the bad taste of the Ewoks. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know Endor was supposed to have been Kashyyyk, or, or right. the, they're supposed to be Wookiees. Right. And this was his way of saying, I can finally do it right, so here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movies, no, it didn't really bug me that it was completely skipped, um, because in the end, uh, that battle didn't. It didn't do much to move the story along, other than seeing Yoda's impact by Order sixty six and seeing him escape yeah, and, exactly. and Chewbacca. It was it was great to see that that battle or a, another battle of the overall Clone Wars, uh, but it didn't move 
the story forward much in and of itself. So no, it didn't bug me either either way. That's a good point about it moving the story. I hadn't thought of that, and you're absolutely right that that it doesn't exactly progress the story. And it believe me, it has nothing to do with Chewbacca at all because I'm I'm. I'm not. Don't know. You know that I was all that crazy that they threw Chewie in there. I felt like right. that was a little bit much because that's something that does bother me. Is is a little bit too much of the original series guy. You know the original trilogy guys winding up in like the the prequel trilogy or in, now in Clone Wars and God forbid the TV show when it comes along. Yeah. I, I really don't want to see a lot of that. So I'm not talking about Chewbacca. That there was no disappointment factor there at all that he wasn't in the novel, but. I just would have liked to have gotten a little bit more of Kashyyyk. I really I, – I like the concept of Kashyyyk and the Wookiee planet and all that. And I just wanted to see just, – just a snippet because I, I enjoy that, that sequence in the film. As brief as it is, I, I think it's just one of the really awesome sequences of the film. So I guess I wanted it for geek reasons. But also, you know, you touched upon Yoda's reaction to Order 66. That to me is one of the absolute most powerful moments of the entire prequel trilogy – is when Yoda feels the Jedi mm-hmm. die. And granted, it would lose a little bit without John Williams' awesome underscore in that sequence, but, you know, Stover was so very good at getting us into the heads of these characters and telling us how they felt and what they were going through. That's a moment I was looking forward to reading was what exactly brought Yoda to his knees in that sequence. What was he feeling? What were you know, I mean, the look on his face in the movie is this... Just total shock! Oh my God, what what is happening? Look, and I really wanted to get in his head and know what were the emotions, what were the feelings, what what exactly was happening. And we, I, I just felt kind of cheated that we didn't get any of that. I mean that 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 whole part with Yoda, <clears throat> excuse me, on Kashyyyk and uh, you know during the the Order sixty six sequence and all of that is really just kind of brushed aside. And uh, and I, I miss that. I, I wish that that would have been fleshed out a little bit. But that, you know, again, that's that's probably a minor thing, but mm-hmm. it's just something that occurred to me when when I realized, you know, at, at toward the end of the novel, I was like, wait a minute, we never got the Kashyyyk part, and right. it kind of struck me that way. This one is a little bit more of what I would say is a major nitpick, which is sort of a a, a misnomer, I guess. But there's a big deal made after that opening sequence of you know rescuing the chancellor where he goes in great detail about the fact that there's a legend of Luke Skywalker and Ben Kenobi that they're almost like like folk heroes in the galaxy like like Butch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or something you know right of, of Anakin right well of both of them of, of Anakin no you said Luke though oh did I say Luke I'm sorry yeah, uh, of Anakin Skywalker and 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 Obi-Wan Kenobi and I just have to call bullshit on that. That doesn't wash to me because, for one thing, Luke, you know, granted he lives out in the sticks on, you know, this outer rim world of tattooing and all that. But I don't think that they're so removed from everything that if there really was this grand legend about Anakin and, and Obi-Wan that he would never have heard of it. I mean, it's, he's, he's growing up only a few years after all this. You know, even at the point where we meet Luke in the original Star Wars, he's, what, 19 or 20 years old. Right. So 20 years later, this grand legend of these two 
folk heroes of the the Clone Wars is going to be so dead and gone that that he'll never have heard it. It just didn't quite mm-hmm. wash to me. I, I I thought that that was a bit of a stretch. Yeah, and I'll and I'll give you a little bit of uh, I'll give you some of that. Um, I I never really thought about that, but as I'm th- listening to you, I'm trying to think of a way. You know, again, just like the movie leaves, you got to kind of fill in fill in the blanks yourself. Mm-hmm. Twenty years has gone by, give or take. Um. Owen and Baru, they know the deal, so they're not going to tell him. Um, the Empire probably is, you know, restricting the flow of information to such a degree that it's not really going to get out too much what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the number one, the last thing, and I don't think this is true otherwise, because I had the same, same kind of similar thought in the past about that, but is it common knowledge among the citizens of the galaxy that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker, or is Anakin Skywalker? I don't no, know. I don't no. know that it really is. So no, no one's going to say, "Oh, hey, you're Vader's kid," um, until much later. No, no. I just mean the fact that Luke is told, um, you know, that his his father was basically not anybody important. You know, he was right. a navigator on a spice freighter. But I'm thinking, if he knows at least his father's name, wouldn't he? at least wonder if if his father Anakin Skywalker is the Anakin Skywalker of galactic legends that you know they're they're doing TV shows about or whatever yeah i'm just i'm just going to ask but did did he know his father's name before ben told it see told i it? i wonder that actually i i really do wonder that because you know we as the the viewers didn't know it before return of the jedi but did yeah, it, it, his, he wasn't named. He wasn't named until then, was he? He wasn't even yeah. named in, in, in Star Wars. I mean, the only time I can ever remember his father being given a name, and arguably it may not even have been his father's name, was in the Russ Manning newspaper strip. There's a part where I believe it's either Luke or C-3PO goes to this vast computer called Madame Memos and gives the name Tan Skywalker, T-A-N Skywalker. Right. As being, I don't know if he oh, specifically yeah. says father or that Luke is the child of. So it could be the mother or father. But I just I, that stands in my memory because that for the longest time. Because I remember when Jedi came out going, oh, wait a minute. That's not the name from the newspaper. You know, and yeah, being yeah. a kid, you don't realize that, you know, all this stuff may not necessarily be all interconnected. Line up or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, that that is interesting that if he didn't. If he didn't even have his father's name, but I don't know. I mean, seeing as how he's living with his his father's brother, you would think that he would his you know that Uncle Owen would not withhold you know his father's name from. I don't know. It, it, it really. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned newspaper strips. I have that uh, Dark Horse put out last year. The, or yeah, last year would have been, I think, the Star Wars Luke Skywalker Last Hope of the Galaxy, the big, you know, 800-page, you know, collection of all these important Luke Skywalker comics. And one of them in there is, uh, is an early one on Tatooine, and there's a conversation between Beru and, and Owen um, where, like, you know, he's going to be leaving here someday, Owen. You've already lost one brother. Do you want to lose his son too? <laughs> and, right. you know, that doesn't drive up, obviously, now. It's like, well, stepbrother maybe, but... You know, he certainly wasn't his biological brother, but we didn't know that before. Now, you see, you just blew my mind because I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but now I want to seek this out because that, that line is sounds like it's straight out of the radio show. So now I've, I've definitely got to check this out, what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure where uh, which one it's in. It's out of reach right now for me to grab, but it's a uh, it was probably from one of the newspaper strips uh, that's been reprinted and recolored in this collection. 
It's a beautiful book if you've ever seen it. It's called Luke Skywalker, Last Hope for the Galaxy from Dark Horse. It's a big oversized thing. Um, 800 some pages. It's like 100 bucks. I got it for like wow. half off. So this is... Is this like the the Al Williamson, um, Russ Manning strips? All right, or? All right I'm going to get. Hang on. <laughs> nice and heavy slipcase, the whole deal. Uh, yeah, if you go to Dark Horse site and just search for in the books "Last Hope of the Galaxy," you'll find it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to hunt that down now, because uh, I've been tempted. I've got almost a complete collection of the Russ Manning strips that ran in my paper when I was a kid. But of course, you know, they're very brown and, and worn out. Now right. I've been tempted to scan the whole set, you know, to have like a permanent record. But if that stuff's finally been reprinted in total, then yeah, I've got to own that. This first, um, first one here. And you mentioned the radio show that might be, might be it. There's this one called uh, Luke Skywalker's walkabout, um, inspired by the dialogue for the Star Wars radio drama by Brian Daly. Ah, there you go. Uh, yep. It was published in the Dark Horse Presents Annual 1999. And it's um, Luke and Wendy out on a dewback, and they get caught in a sandstorm, and Ben comes to help them and takes them back, and Owen basically runs Ben off, the, off his land. <laughs> Mr. Kenobi has to leave now. Oh, I've got to check that out. That sounds like that's right up my alley. There's a great one in here. It's... Um, this one was first published in Star Wars Weekly 97 and 99 from Marvel Comics UK, 1980. It's called The Day After the Death Star. It's basically right after the medal ceremony. And one TIE fighter has is, is still floating around there, and it crashed on, on Yavin on the moon. And uh, Luke comes across him. I remember that. Where, where does it say that story was printed at? That was in Star Wars Weekly from the UK. Oh, that's Fallen Star. It's not the one I'm looking for. Day after the Death Star I'm looking for. Uh, here it is. Star Wars Weekly, number 97 to 99. Uh, yeah. Marvel Comics UK, 1980. I think that's reprinted in one of those little paperbacks, like Star Wars 2 or Star Wars World of Fire. I know I've, Probably, I've got yeah. that story somewhere, and I didn't know if my copy was, a, you know, if, if that's the first appearance of that or if it was a reprint from the, from the UK, because... From what I've been able to research, everything but one story from the UK stuff has been reprinted in in the United States. There's just like, right. you know, at this point, one story. But, of course, I don't know how often that, that Wikipedia stuff gets updated. So this book that you're talking about may very well reprint that story in the It may, in yeah. Book, so. Yeah, and this this includes check. a lot of the Dark Horse stuff and some Marvel stuff, like I showed you. It has, uh, it has The Wrong Side of the War. It's another book that we were talking about earlier. Um, it has um, Dark Empires in here. Uh, I think the last uh, the last book of the four volume four issue Chewbacca special. Oh, okay. So that's not all just newspaper it, stuff, then. No, it's 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 from all of comics. Um, what they call the most important Luke Skywalker stories. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. So it's a variety of stuff here. Oh, okay. It's huge. It's heavy. It's awesome. Getting back to uh, the book here, I really have got just two other notes left. Um, they're at extreme opposite ends because one is uh, one is a supreme nitpick, and then the other one is what I thought was one of the most awesome moments. Uh, my nitpick, and this is like super geeky, but all right, right toward the end of the book, you know, when they're trying to decide, all right, what are they going to do with with the newborns, Luke and Leia? Yoda has a line. You know, ben says something to him about 
protecting the children and all that. And Yoda says something to the effect of the how strong the Skywalker line is, strong in the Force. Mm-hmm. The Skywalker line is, and I'm, it just struck me. I'm thinking, how does he know that? All they know is Anakin. They yeah. don't know who his father was. They've, you know, they don't know his brothers or uncles or, you know, he's never had any children before this. So that line just struck me as okay. The that that was a goof, right? <laughs> you know? yeah, dude, it's, it's Yoda. He can sense it. Uh, yes. it I'm only half 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 kidding there. It, it, you have these two kids who, I mean, in the book they actually give us a little bit of a timeline. She's pregnant for five months when he arrives back and sees her. We don't really get that in the movie how long it's been. He she could be in her ninth month for all we know because all mm-hmm. we do is see her in shadow ever. So it appears that they're basically born premature because of her trauma. Right. But they're apparently healthy and thriving, so there's just at least a sign that they're strong in the fourth in the force. Um, you know, maybe off camera they tested them. Who knows? You know, oh, that's blood. true. Yeah. You know, we don't know. That's just an inference we can throw in there, make it convenient. I think more than likely, you know, they can with especially with such and this is I'm really reaching here, but with such an absence of Jedi in the galaxy at that moment because of all the, all the death, having this pocket of force energy right there in front of them is going to be that much more magnified. I'll give you that maybe they tested the kids. I had not thought of that because I I keep, you know, purposely forgetting about midichlorians, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I I, I can do that. So, yeah, you know, having not thought about them, that that actually I can buy that explanation. I'll, I'll give you the no prize on that. I think that that's a good explanation that they just tested the kids and they're like, wow, you know. They're super powerful too, so yeah, I'll buy that. I mean, I mean, we know that they um, were watching them just from the, the original trilogy. We know that they were keeping an eye on them for this very reason. So clearly, they want to establish that you know we are going to do this. And I think of that whole scene. My favorite line was when the, again when they're deciding what to do with them, and they're like, "Oh, we need to train them. We need to get them ready, just like we always have." And this goes back to Yoda's revelation, how I've been trained Jedi to fight the last war, not the new one. Mm-hmm. He knows something new has to happen. We have to do something different with these kids. And the Force will bring them to us when it's time. Right. Yeah, I liked that too. And that, and that's exactly what happened. The Force you know, just brought, them, brought everybody together in this perfect, you know, ragtag group in a freighter. Yeah, I, did. I liked that. I liked that they finally realized that there might be something fundamentally wrong with taking kids from their parents right. at a tender age and raising them to basically be monks, you know, to to fight their war or whatever. I, yeah, I, I, I that hasn't set well with me. Learning that backstory about the Jedi that you know that they weren't raised, you know, in a in a loving environment with you know right. parents they were- and. Yeah, that's they're indoctrinated from a very young age. Yeah, I, I, I'm not comfortable with that to be right. honest. Now, one of the moments I really, really looked forward to in the movie that uh, I think a lot of people did. You know, it was one of those nitpicks, and it was one of those things people were waiting. Okay, how are they going to try to explain this? How is this going to sync up? Was the uh, the line? Where Organa orders yeah. C-3PO's memory wiped, and I really loved loved that sequence in this book because give a little more to that. Yeah. yeah, there's an actual explanation for why he ordered it in this, which is, you know, he overhears 3PO blabbing to R2 how excited he is that you know he's going to be. Oh, tell him all about her mother and yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, was, you know, that child is the is the 
daughter of you know Padme Amidala and and Anakin Skywalker, and I can't wait to tell her and. And, you know, Organa's like, well, this droid is a big mouth and, you know, could blow the whole thing. So, you know, wipe his memory. I loved that. I was like, you know, that it was such a little thing, but I felt it was really needed. It was it was more than just, you know, well, just wipe his memory because otherwise it's not going to sync up with the later movies, which was almost how it felt. In the, mm-hmm. That's how it plays in the movie is right. We gotta, an yeah. offhand comment just so that everything flows from prequel to, to original trilogy and that wasn't enough i think that and, you had to have an explanation well why do you want his memory and i've got to give that to stover more so than lucas because if lucas wrote the book if you know let's just throw out there it would have been the way it was in the movie stover's one like let's make it a little bit more a reason for it right not just because it has to happen but it also explains a lot of like it just gives r2 to me that much more character because when i think of that scene and then i think of the original trilogy i'm like R2 knows the deal the whole time. He knows what's up. He knows where he's going. He knows Obi-Wan. He knows what, you know, who these kids are, you know, and he knows what he needs to do. And he also knows to keep his mouth shut and not tell Trupio a damn thing. I like that. I, I like that because, you know, like you say, it adds a lot of character to, to R2, but also it, it finally gives me personal justification for a moment I've always loved in the original Star Wars, which is when we meet Ben Kenobi for the first time, and he draws back his hood, and he looks at R2 and says, hello. hello and they have friend. just a little conversation before Luke actually comes to. Uh-huh. As a kid, I always, always had the impression that they actually knew each other. And yep. I know that that was just an innocent kid interpretation, but now it actually plays that way. When, yeah. when you see it now, you know, it... It totally jibes for me. It totally justifies that that first impression that I never got over that that they had a kind of a wink nod thing going between them that they had a little bit more connection than just this random meeting up in the middle of the Junlin Waste. I love right. that. I I loved that. I thought that was really great. You know, I have one nitpick and it's more with the movie than with the book, but the book brings it more in line. I always had trouble with the way the Jedi interpreted the whole prophecy. You know, Anakin is going to bring balance to the Force. Mm-hmm. You know, di- didn't these guys realize that, yes, the, the Force is out of balance, but it's out of balance in your favor. If he's going right. to bring balance to the Force, he's going to kill you all. He's going to wipe you out. He's going to do something or bring the Sith up. He's going to do something. But it's out of balance in your favor. And at least in the book, when Yoda has that moment, you know, I've been training for the wrong war and I need to change things. He's kind of starting to figure it out then. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why didn't they realize that long before? I'm sitting in the theater watching this and I'm like, but it's, but, but clearly it's, there's thousands of you and two of them. It's, <laughs> it, it, it can't be anymore. And, and ultimately balance is, it's played out not through Anakin, but through his offspring with Luke until like Luke is the last man standing, literally. And it's up to him to rebuild the Jedi Order going forward, which we get that we all get in the expanded universe. And he is basically feeling his way through. He doesn't know much more than, you know, the kids he's training or these people he's finding who are force sensitive. But he's training adults and trying to rebuild this new Jedi Order, which as someone would go through and read through the expanded universe books, which to me are fantastic. I love them. And that has not always been the case with me. I'm only new to that for about a year. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but you really, really see where Luke is building on something new. I mean, 
we see in the in the these prequel trilogy, you know, no connections, not supposed to love, no, you, you'll lose, lose your family behind. And even before Luke married Mara Jade and had a had a kid, which right there is a is a, is a break. He has Jedi with family. You have you know Leia and Han and the twins and everybody. So I mean, from the very beginning with Luke's Jedi, Jedi order, he's doing things differently. He's just doing the best he can, but it's finding this new way. Um, of being a Jedi that does not remove all connection. And it's really, um, you, it, it plays off the whole prophecy coming to fruition more so than just, you know, one man standing or what have you. See, I am so looking forward to discovering all that stuff because it, it's it's killing me that, that so much of that stuff is still so far off for me, you know, as mm-hmm. I'm reading these in, in chronological order. But, uh, yeah, I'm so looking forward to getting okay. there and, and learning about, you know, because it, it was it was quite the revelation to me a while back to learn that, you know, I, I knew about uh, Luke and Mara getting married because there was that comic series about it. Right. But you're now learning that, you know, they actually have a, a son who's a Jedi and all that. I'm really looking forward to getting into that stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers and all that. Right, I'm, right. I'm, so well, I'm not going to give you a spoiler or anything, but his, oh, no. his, his son is, is, of all the expanded universe, he is my favorite expanded universe character is his son. Mainly because of the relationship between Luke and Ben, but also um, just seeing him grow into a Jedi, um, and and then looking forward with like the comic series Legacy, which is you know 125 years in the future, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to discovering okay how is Ben gonna then link up to the characters in that book, right? Because clearly that's where the line's got to go. So we'll see. Cool. And that's what what I love about the the EU the most. And, and again, for the longest time, Star Wars was these six movies, and that's it. You know, to me, Star Wars was there's the overall arc, the life or the rise, the fall, and the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. That was Star Wars to me. I didn't need anything else. I didn't want anything else. Eventually, I started reading some of the books. Or I got a comic, and I discovered okay, that's one story in this full universe. There's so much a lot of other stories out there. And once I kind of let go of that original cast and those characters and started reading more, I started enjoying it that much, that much more and really get into it. Now I can't get enough of it to the point where I'm caught up on pretty much all the comics that are out there now and trying to find old stuff to, to, to do, or I've been listening to audiobooks for a year now and I'm all, almost all caught up on those and it's, it's killing me because I have nothing to go, nowhere, nowhere to go now. <laughs> I'm tempted to keep going with this conversation, but I'm, I think <laughs> yeah, we're we running should, long. I know we should spin it off. We'll spin it off into the into the um, the other conversation that we were going to do. But uh, did, did you have any other notes on this one? No, no, that's pretty pretty much it. I mean, just to go back to what I said at the start, it fills in so many blanks of what is going on in the characters' heads um, that you just don't get from that movie. Um, I mean, maybe yeah, maybe they could be acted different. Maybe you get something different from. You know, a different performance. I don't know. I'm not going to spend too much time second-guessing that. But it just enriches the experience for me. And I was, uh, well, I was a little mad at myself for waiting that long to read it. Because I knew somebody who read this, like, before he saw the movie. And he didn't like the movie because of that. Um, I can totally see that, actually. Yeah, and and going in reverse now, going back, it it definitely enhances the movie for me. And um, they complement each other, I think, a lot more than, than... annoys me i guess it's the best way to say it well, i think we got two thumbs up in this one we we both recommend it i i highly recommend it i i think you know especially if 
you know, if you love the movie, absolutely. But if you were disappointed in the movie, I'd say definitely read the book because I think it'll really uh, flesh it out for you and make it, you know, that much more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining me for this segment, Ken. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Scott. Absolutely. Anytime. has been the Orca Book Club. Let's begin now. This is madness. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. All right, we're back. After all that book learning, now we're going to do some comic book learning. Marvel Comics number 36 through 38 this month, and starting right out, I will be presenting the synopsis of Marvel Comics Star Wars number 36. This was in June of what, 1980? Yes. 40 Centaroonies. A quarter nickel and a dime could get you this comic and uh of course as does it say yeah it does say on the cover we've got your your standard team we've got Infantino and Wyacek on the cover and um Infantino and the popular with us Gene Day Mm -hmm. on uh the interior art and uh uh, once again, Archie Goodwin writing it, so it's pretty much the same, same cast of of Marvel writers and artists that have been doing the last few issues. So we're, we start out above the planet Monastery, uh, where the Falcon with Han Chewie Lei and three PO is uh, sort of being hauled in for an ex- inspection by Captain Wormus on his Star Destroyer. Now they've been. They've been long-range backup, I guess, for, for Luke and uh, his negotiations on the planet below. So they've just been sort of hanging in space. And, um, you know, they, 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 they didn't really sort of count on getting picked up by the Imperials, but they have a sort of story. So they hide the princess in a, in a cargo bay, and they try to pass themselves off as simple freighters making repairs. You know, the standard bullshit, but... Wormus knows who they are, and uh, he also knows that they should be traveling with Princess Leia. And uh, so he sends Han and Chewie to the bridge and basically, you know, tear the ship apart. They know the princess in there is in there, but they can't find her. Well, meanwhile, Luke is sort of um, stalking Sister Domina, and, and he sees this large cat monster creature stalking her, and it, it takes a leap towards her, and, and he attacks it, and gets into a little fight in the in the water with it and kills it with his lightsaber. 
Well, it turns out it was a pet of this garden, and it was a harmless creature with humongous fangs, by the way. So, whoops, sort of a faux pas for, for Luke. So he's he's kind of confused, and of course, uh, Darth Vader also shows up to sort of rub his face in it. And uh, <laughs> so Luke just sort of stalks off, and uh, so Domina discusses with Vader how she's, you know, Ormontag's sister, and she's going to give Luke Skywalker to Vader as as revenge for, you know, him kill it, kill it, you know, she thinks he killed her brother, and so, uh, she'd, she'd like to kill him, but is it's about as good as it's gonna get for her to give her, to, give him to Vader, and know that that fate lies ahead for him, so, uh, meanwhile, on, on, on the Star Destroyer, they start noticing that Orman's life support system, because as you remember, he isn't really dead, but he and his his brother with the blue rave hair are both in Silas. Silas are in suspended animation, but his his uh, life support system is showing weird fluctuations and and doing all sorts of strange things. So Leia, Leia, it turns out, was in a not just in a sub part of the Falcon, but in a portion below that because they figured the Empire would be on to their their tricks. So he had put in an even sneakier cargo bay so she busts out of that and uh causes a big explosion to distract the whole star destroyer turns off the gravity and sort of busts Han and Chewie out and uh you know they they use rocket packs that she's gotten to navigate and everybody else is just sort of floating around so Luke meanwhile is uh going in front of the council at, at sanctuary to plead his case of why you know, they should go with the, the Rebellion instead of the Empire. But he finds out that all of a sudden, Sister Domina has sort of taken over it and is in charge. And uh, she says, you know, Luke's a dangerous influence and he's already proven that he's rash and violent and uh, they're going to ally with the Empire. So Luke's pissed, so of course, he's there with Vader, so he picks a saber fight with him. But, um, you know, it's a sacred space where they're in, so Sister Domina says this won't do. You can you can have a battle at sundown in the Crystal Valley, which sounds like a, a form of uh, salad dressing, but we'll get back to that later. <laughs> That's Hidden Valley, you dork. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, the, the, the Falcon's gotten free from the Star Destroyer and is is flying away and... To figure they're going to help Luke, but they have a castaway, Baron Tag, who's busted out of his his cryo chamber, or whatever, his life support chamber, and he hijacks the ship to take it back to Monastery because he wants to protect his innocent sister, Domina, and that's where this issue ends off. Get a great shot of Leia boob on that last page Carmine right there. Infantino. I'm telling you. He's he's really he really has a thing for Leia's boobs. He really like puts even in his sloppiest um issues, he's really, you know, always put a little extra love and care in that direction, if you know what I mean. Now I don't know if it's uh if it's Gene Day or, or what the story is, or maybe because the new movie's about to come out at this point or what, right. but I think the art is a serious step up in this issue. Yeah. Right? That's part of the reason I've always liked 
this particular story about monastery and the battle with Vader is I, I, I really think that the art really, really stepped back up for the first time. Because for a while there, the Inventino art seemed like it, it kind of went went down in quality just a bit. I don't know if it was rushed or what the story was, but this this is like top-notch Infantino, and I really, really like it. Some of it even reminds me a little Al Williamson. It's got a little... Yeah. Some of the backgrounds, especially. I think they were, I think everybody was maybe excited because a new movie was coming out, and, right. they, you, and they were actually getting to draw Luke and Darth Vader with their lightsabers out, facing off, and, you know, I think, I think that, that maybe gave a little energy to this, perhaps. I don't know what the... I don't know what the artistic conditions were that this was produced under. Right. But, you know. Well, right off the bat, I love the cover. This is one of my favorite covers of the entire series. There's just something really dynamic about it. You know, Luke facing off against that, what did she call it? Like Saber Cat or some something? Yeah, Fluffy yeah. Killer Kitty. Yeah, but it's well, really cool. And his lightsaber is colored blue for a change, which... You know, that's the color it's supposed to be, of course, but, you know, it, it hardly ever is in these comics. But, you know, for a change, it is on the cover. But well, I don't I th- know. I just really like that cover with Luke and his style and rebel jacket from the end of the first movie. Well, I think this is also the first cover where the cover sort of after this in Star Wars, um, the covers were sort of more like this. And where I say like this, they're more like a comic book cover. Than say somebody trying to make a Star Warsy sort of cover. It was more like a cover for any kind of. I think the characters had been established enough in Marvel. I, I mean, this is th- issue thirty-six, so this is the three-year mark that right. Star Wars has been coming out in Marvel. So the characters are established almost as Marvel characters too. So the 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 writer and the artist have a familiar familiarity and the reader with them so it's more of just like a simple situation on it rather than like a picture illustrating something of cosmic significance it's like here's what happens in the story you know luke fights a giant cat with his lightsaber which is what you wanted to see when you were flipping through the comic book rack right and uh and yeah this one i mean it has a great there is a very fluid movement design to it the water if you look at it, you know, it's designed. There's all sorts of circles in the middle. It's just very graphically well laid out. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's very comic booky. You know, the the female character in the background going, oh, my. And, right. and this time it's not 3PO. <laughs> now, did you notice? We I know we don't comment on the ads very often in these, but both on the inside front cover... And on the inside and back cover, I'm they're look- both O.J. Simpson ads. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a CBR, so I'm missing out on that aspect. Oh, I will, okay. I, I'm, this issue is in the mail coming to me Oh, okay. as of well, this you- point now, so I'll get to see him. O.J. You did a lot that. of ads, though, too, you oh, know. Yeah. Well, this one on the, on the inside front cover says, uh, show them your heels. <laughs> and it's about yeah, his shoes. And I thought, wow, isn't that prescient? And then on the back cover, it's an ad for Dingo Boots with uh, O.J. Simpson. So I got a I got a real kick out of that. Well, it always washes off my dingoes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> They're waterproof. <laughs> Blood is ninety percent water. <laughs> 
And I noticed on page three at the top of the page that for a change, he finally drew the weapons to look like they actually looked in the movie. That stormtrooper rifle looks like a real stormtrooper right. rifle. Yet they still are holding their guns really <laughs> awkwardly. I mean, you don't hold a gun that way. Like at the at the base of your neck, at your chest, sort of in front of you with two hands? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, maybe Infantino's just a peaceful man and he doesn't understand the, <laughs> the machinations of war as much. He also, you know, he just, like... Not to, you know, just a minor nitpick, but he always has trouble with stormtroopers. On that same page yes. three, that the, that's like the Hulk stormtrooper down there. He's just like, <laughs> it, yeah, there's all sorts of, and, and before him is like, on the panel, immediately before him is like Cro-Magnon, like half, like, Gibbon, baboon. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You see where I was getting at? Well, something I totally failed to point out in a prior issue, but I'll point it out this time because it really, really jumped out at me. If memory serves, I believe some of the last Star Wars figures to come out before the Empire Strikes Back action figures started to come out. I believe a couple of the last ones were R5-D4, and one that they mislabeled, they called him the Death Star droid. But he was actually a droid that we saw in the Jawa Sandcrawler right near the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. He was that silver one with kind of a Darth Vader-style face. Yeah. Now, that droid was in one of these prior issues. I couldn't tell you which one it was because I failed to comment on it at the time. But he was in one of those issues. Well, in this issue here, you'll notice several times throughout the issue when they're in the Death... Excuse me, the uh, not the Death Star, the uh, Star Destroyer sequences, like on page... 11, uh-huh. those first two panels on page 11. Then again on page 23, he's in a couple of panels. I think what it was is the toy had just come out and they were probably getting a mandate, hey, put these action figures in the comic. And the toys were probably a great thing to draw from too. Because right. that's, hence maybe the Stormtroopers' guns. And Could page be. 23 has another big, like, hulking chest storm. Maybe Infantino is just like, hey, some of these stormtroopers are going to have to have different, they're going to have little teeny tiny heads and big barrel chests <laughs> and l- sort of look like the tick in a stormtrooper outfit, you know? <laughs> well, that one, that one right there on the left side, last panel on page 23 on the left side uh-huh. of the panel, What what does that thing on the side of that stormtrooper's face remind you of? Is that not just a little bit uh, disturbing right there? Well, I would say it looks phallic. Yes. But it looks phallic in an alien, in an H.R. Giger <laughs> sort of way. So maybe he's paying tribute to H.R. Giger. <laughs> That's even more disturbing. I think Giger's Italian. Maybe Infantino and Giger are both from the same village in Italy or something. So he decided to like put a couple dicks on the stormtrooper's cheeks. <laughs> That's messed up. Oh, hey, see. I make them uncircumcised, too. Hey, what the hell? <laughs> the kids, they don't know. They won't know till they're 40 years old. They do some stupid radio show about it. <laughs> well, that's all I got on this particular issue. What else do you got on it? Yeah, that's 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 about it. I, I, I enjoyed this one. I, I uh, you know, there was some good, uh, good, um, blaster... Chewbacca usually has good lines in this one, but the blasters had 
good lines like Vridow. I love that. Vridow. <laughs> Vridow. Yeah, we missed it. We've been missing the Chewy lines lately. We yeah, got he hasn't ha- he hasn't been getting as many good lines. I don't really think he's even got a glurk or anything in this one. <laughs> R2's got a few bleat the deeps and stuff. But I don't think Chewy's R2's mostly talking with three PO's voice coming through him. Yeah. And uh I like how I like how uh Darth Vader keeps calling Luke puppy. Puppy, yeah, I got a kick Come out on, of that. Puppy. Too. Look at it. <laughs> Rubbing his face in the urine on the floor. Did you do that? Did you do that? <laughs> bad, Luke. Bad. Yeah. Go lay down. And on page nineteen, there's a po- picture of Vader pointing at him that looks just kind of a little goofy. Like Vader looks a little WC Fieldsy. I don't know. It's almost just kind of like. Wah. <laughs> oh my. Where's God. your Obi Wan right. Kenobi now? See, huh? That's about all I got. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll end with Well, on to, on to the next issue. <clears throat> I like this one a lot. This is Star Wars number 37 from July 1980, covered by Carmine Infantino and Bob Wycheck, written and edited by Archie Goodwin, art on the interior by Infantino and Gene Day again. You know, they don't usually yeah, yeah. have back-to-back issues by the no, same guys. He, no, Gene Day seems to sort of just pop in one issue at a time, it seems like. <laughs> And uh, let's see, story is entitled In Mortal Combat. I never played those games. I don't Finish know if I'm saying that them. Right. <laughs> Finish them. <laughs> okay, so in this one, Sister Dominus sends Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader down into the Crystal Valley for their lightsaber duel to the death. Here in the hopes Crystal that the Valley. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's funny, actually. What is it? Crystal Valley Ranch. That's what it is. They're going down there for salad dressing. (laughs) I used to pour salad dressing on my wife. (laughs) What? (laughs) Crystal Valley remembers. Oh, my God. We're getting silly. So, let's see. Where the hell was I? Okay, so... uh, Huh? What? You just got the words Crystal Valley out, and then I okay. just send it all off the rails. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. All right, so Domino, she secretly hopes that this uh, this treacherous and deadly valley will spell the end for both of her uh, thought-to-be-dead brother's enemies. Luke has a t- hard time contending with the constantly and unpredictably erupting crystal spears that uh, thrust up out of the ground, and Darth Vader spies the Millennium Falcon come onto the scene. In the Falcon, Baron Tag is holding Han, Leia, and Chewie at blaster point, but Han's rough landing allows Leia to disarm him. TIE fighters arrive and give our heroes a hard time, and in the confusion of battle, the Baron slips away. 3PO communicates to Luke via um, R2-D2's installed comlink and offers to lead Luke out of the valley to where the Falcon is waiting for him, but Luke refuses, saying he's determined to face Darth Vader. Meanwhile, Baron Tag is... uh, trying to navigate through the valley when suddenly a huge crystal spear topples over at him. He is saved from being crushed, however, by Darth Vader. The Dark Lord taunts the Baron by showing him how he has twisted and corrupted his beloved sister, and the Baron begs for death at that point. Vader says, soon, but first, you'll fulfill a final task. As Han and Leia rush to inform Domino that she is being played and that her brother still lives, Luke finally finds himself face-to-face with Vader, and the epic battle begins. 
It is an awesome fight, beautifully drawn. And in the end, just as Luke is beginning to realize that his senses are being manipulated by the Force, he is forced to defend himself from a killing blow by Vader and runs the Sith Lord through with his lightsaber. However, the smoking body that hits the ground is Baron Tag. Somehow, Vader was able to cast the illusion over Luke that he was battling Vader himself when in fact he had been fighting the Baron the whole time. Vader tells Luke that he did this to both punish Tag for his foolish rivalry with him, but also to gauge Luke's abilities. He informs Luke that he feels he has fully tested the boy and knows his limitations, to which Luke responds that he is learning, changing, and growing all the time. Vader comes back with the great line, When your only instructor is dead by my hands. Which I like that line a lot. I thought that was pretty cool. He tries to goad Luke into a fight, but when Luke senses uh, the trap, he and R2 flee, refusing to play Vader's game any longer. On a hillside, awaiting the outcome of the battle, Domina, Leia, and Han witness Vader's departure in his TIE fighter, and when Luke emerges from the Crystal Valley, Domina curses Luke for not being able to save her brother. In the epilogue, news reaches Jabba the Hutt of the destruction of Crimson Jack's pirate ship. Jabba was a financial backer of Jack's, and he's pissed off about the loss. The ship's log tells the story, and Jabba reinstates the bounty on the head of Han Solo. Not long after, Solo shoots a uh, pursuing bounty hunter who informs him with his dying breath that Han is again a marked man. So Han and Chewie decide to go back to the Rebels. And that's pretty much where we end this one off. What would you think of this one? I just spotted another coincidence this month. What's that? Between our Star Wars Monthly Monday and our Star Trek Monthly Monday. In a purposeful crossing of the streams. Uh Uh-huh. Both issues are right up on the new movie coming out. Oh, that's right. And in the last page of the Star Trek comic we're going to talk about next week in Star Trek Monthly Monday. Tune in. Um, It does the same thing in the last page. It puts one, you know, this this puts the price back on Han's head. Right. Because he had basically quote-unquote paid off or he was even with Jabba a few issues back so now this sets it up for they knew that he still had to be pursued by Jabba for Empire still have the price on his head so here it's established and as it says next the most eagerly awaited saga of them all begins Marvel's adaption of The Empire Strikes Back isn't that awesome except it's a stinking lie (laughs) yes it is Yes, it is. It does not happen next issue. Um, I, you know, I like this issue a lot. I loved this storyline as a kid. And I, while I still like it, it's gone down a couple notches because there, there are some, some issues with it. My biggest one being now, okay, I realize that the, the real world reason why Vader leaves in this is, of course, Marvel didn't have permission right. for Luke and Vader to actually fight or fight to the death or anything like that. That they, they pretty much brought them nose to nose, but that's as far as they could go. Now, I realize right. that. However, you still have to have the mechanics of the story work despite all that. And I feel that, you know, sadly, I feel like the mechanics of the story don't work because well, Vader. Vader, you know, sets Luke against the Baron. Luke takes the Baron down. Vader has gauged the boy's abilities and feels confident that he can beat him. Then he just fucking leaves. I'm like, what? 
why why not finish him or why not why not set upon him with a new bat? I mean, at this point, Luke, you would think is probably a little bit tired because he just fought the Baron. So Vader's totally got the upper hand in this right. situation. And Luke's Why the only hell does getting he stronger too? So you right. know, he, it's, it would be better for him if he was going to beat him to beat him now. But of course, he can't. But I think I think at this point, they were eager, just as they will be in the Star Trek comic that we'll be doing next week. They were eager to just tie up everything and get it all right. out of the way, get all the characters that weren't the main characters, get them the hell out of there. And have them either gone forever or in limbo where you need them or don't need them ever again. And then have a, as much of a clean slate as you can for the next movie. And then prepare to work with whatever you're given with that storyline. So they're trying to get things out of the way so Empire could happen as smoothly as it was going, you know, as was humanly oh, sure. possible. Sure, I get all that. But what I'm saying is that I think that there was a tidier way to wrap all this up to where it actually makes a bit of sense. And, you know, I, I just thought of a perfect way is on the bottom of page 26 after Luke, after uh, Vader basically says, you know, he calls Luke's bluff because you know, Luke says that I'm learning. I can change. I can grow. And that's when Vader says, well, you know, you, the only person you could go to for instructions dead, I killed him. So bullshit, you know, he's basically calling bullshit on what Luke is, is yeah. saying. And then he, he basically taunts Luke to come at him. You know, he says, I'll give you the first blow. And as Luke starts to walk towards him, suddenly one of those spears erupts out of the ground. And when that happens, then Luke grabs R2 and just hightails it out of there. I think a better way for this to go... Which, how fast can you hightail it with R2 anyway? Yeah, exactly. I think a better way to go with this would have been, what if that spear came up... And knocked Vader on his ass. Yeah, I was going to say, a crack opened in the earth and he fell in and was like, oh, I have to grab this outcropping. Well, that, I mean, because that's basically how Splinter ended. Right. Was, you know, uh, Vader ends up falling into that shaft. So there wasn't really a decisive victory in that story either. It's sort of a no-fault, right, conclusion. So they could have done the same sort of thing here. And instead, it it really makes Luke look like kind of a pussy. You know, he, he, he runs away. But what I'm saying is uh, there's no motivation either for Vader to leave outright, which we see him yeah. leaving in his TIE fighter, but also there's no... Why didn't he f- just follow Luke? You know? I mean, why? You know, when Luke ran away, like you say, he can only go so fast with R2-D2 in tow. Why the hell didn't Vader go after him? Instead, he, he, he just leaves the huh. planet. I yeah. really don't get it. I don't understand what his motivation is to just simply leave. I don't know. It, it doesn't make serves, any sense. It just serves the story. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... But you know, despite that major nitpick, I really do like the story. Well, actually, there's one other really big nitpick too. Yeah. Is uh, the illusion casting thing? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we never see. Yeah. I mean, do we ever see a Jedi use? I mean, no, I know that it's like no. the Jedi mind trick, but I mean, do that's we ever see? That's quite a mind the... trick, though. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that fits. comes close is a scene in the tree in Empire. Yeah. Is the only thing that comes close, which they might have known about that by this point, but... I guess. I mean, it's still cool. I mean, it's still a really yeah. awesome... It's a great battle and everything. It's just... if you, It's one of those things that if you stop and think about it once the story is all over, I don't know that it really works. I mean, that, that Vader actually had the ability 
to, to cast a totally convincing illusion to Luke's mind that he was actually battling right. Vader and not the Baron himself. I mean, we never see that ability used again that I'm aware of. So. The, the thing is, and Luke should be, it should be harder to do that to Luke than it would be to, say, somebody who is more impressionable or dumb or whatever, right. less attuned with the Force or less full of midichlorians or whatever the fuck's going on here. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't like under some sort of... Because I'm looking and there's all this mist and fog around and I'm thinking, well, maybe... Was there any snow? I don't see anything. I thought, well, maybe he was like... Forming was the like mist a... into a Darth Vader-y looking... Well, no, maybe there was like a hallucinogenic... hallucinogenic compound in the fucking fog or something, uh, but no, I don't think so. He just says, my mind's being clouded by the Force, so that... I, I don't know, it, it really makes it sound like Vader has that power of complete illusion, and I just don't know that that I buy it. You yeah. know? But it's it's still... I don't know, I'm, I, sound, I probably sound like I'm much too harsh on this story. I really do like the story, it's just, like I say, it's got it's got a couple really big, you know, hang-ups with, with some of the things that go on in it, but the dynamic of having them fight, you know, in this valley where these crystal, whatever the hell you call them, they're like giant spears or something, keep thrusting up out of the ground, and I, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, it, was a it would have been really dynamic issue. It would have looked great in a movie. Mm-hmm. And the Tie Fighters look fantastic in this for a change. They actually really look like, you know, they look close movie to Tie the Fighters. Action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one that's a little bit wonky there on page 10. The, the, the fins are a little bit too small, but it's still pretty cool. And he was getting better about the ships and all that. But Vader's yeah. helmet constantly changes shape, I noticed. His grill is, like, really huge and weird looking on page 16 at the bottom there. He's got, like, a... He's almost like he's smiling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that often happens. He gets that sort of... <laughs> I'm happy, Vader. <laughs> I do like it, though. It was a good story, and uh, and you know, now you can see that I was dead wrong and very forgetful that uh, that Luke actually did kill the Baron. At the, uh, for some reason, I totally forgot that. I forgot that the Baron actually died in the end of this. Yeah. I, I always, I always thought that they just kind of left that hanging. And I think the reason I thought that is, uh, I think the other story like with Domino and all that I think post Empire there's at least one more story that involves the tags yes and then it, and then it just kind of falls off the face of you know of the story we it's never like picked up or referenced or resolved or anything after that but the Baron's portion of it is is over he's he's dead dead is, dead but I like that one I really do I thought it was a good story bereft of life he rests in peace <laughs> So, number 38. This ah, is a this is a good deal issue right here. Yeah. Well, I'll get I'll get I'll uh, snap us through the uh the story and we can get ripping on it. Cool. Uh we got a cover by I guess it, all it says is a big G, so we're guessing Michael Golden here. Mm-hmm. Who is the artist in this? It's Luke and Leia trapped in a living starship. Riders in the void. August 1980. 40 cent cover once again this is number 38 and inside we've got art by uh, Golden and Austin mm-hmm. and uh, Archie Goodman writing 
Luke and Leia are running rebel medical supplies in a small spice trader ship. Uh, they're betrayed to the Empire by the smugglers who they bought the supplies from and are being pursued by TIE fighters and a Star Destroyer. So, uh, Luke attempts to escape into hyperdrive, but the, the ship's back shield is hit, and when they go into hyperdrive, you know, they're, they're flibberty jabbers, fuckity fucked, and they have to, you know, he has to prematurely pull them out of hyperspace. Well, apparently in hyperspace, you don't travel linearly, because they end up way beyond their galaxy in uncharted space, which is just sort of empty, and it's called, which I guess space is anyway. But it's, they call it the void, and it's, you know, the land beyond their galaxy. And so they're just sort of floating in the void. And they see us, what they think is a star, but it turns out to be this gigantic blobby planet ship thing. And it approaches them and just sort of comes up and swallows their ship. Um, inside, they find it's some sort of organic spaceship, you know, with technology in it and, uh, they get out of the ship and they're looking around outside when uh, they hear this maniacal laughter and they're sort of dropped through separate little openings in the floor. And uh, Luke finds himself fighting uh, a robot who eventually, who's learning from Luke and, you know, sees his lightsaber and learns how to make a lightsaber. So now the robot's got a lightsaber and, you know, he's countering his attacks. And, uh... Leia, meanwhile, is attacked by these sort of semi-anime-style tentacles. So, uh, when Luke finally defeats the robot, he finds out that he was actually sort of fighting this being who's linked in with the ship. And, uh, the being thought he and Leia were just sort of a game that, um, was made by the ship's computer to amuse him. And when it realizes that they're both real, you know, quote-unquote real, it it basically treats them like contaminants and tries to expel them into space, you know, like germs or something. So, um, you know, as they're being... I guess in this instant... Still, they would be being blown into space. Right. Um, you know, Luke tries to save Leia and sh is showing compassion towards her by trying to save her, and the ship, you know, the the guy who's linked with the ship remembers sort of his humanity or his, you know, his his feelings to do with other beings and decides not to, to spare their lives. And, um, you know, he tells this story that he's the lone survivor of this war-torn race and, you know, he's driving this basically this space, giant spaceship that would fight other spaceships and you know, basically his spaceship won, but the last other spaceship that they defeated released a deadly virus that killed off everybody but him. So he's been in a spacesuit just sort of flying this planet blob thing around the void and using the ship's computer to keep his mind busy. So, um, he sort of, uh, you know, their, uh, their new planet pal takes uh, Luke and Leia right back to where they started, which is sort of cool because they're back in their galaxy, but it's sort of bad because they're right back where the Imperial Star Destroyer and TIE Fighters were, which immediately see this big blobby thing and have no idea what it was, so they decide to start shooting it up, shooting at it. And uh, so they're blasting away at it, and this just pisses off the blob, and uh, 
he basically releases some anti-matter, anti-body, sort of white blood cell things that fry the TIE Fighters and the Star Destroyer. And, uh, yeah, just completely wipe them out. And, uh, then he boogies on back to the void because, basically, this galaxy's too real, man. <laughs> so it's back to the void with him leaving Luke and Leia to pot. Because I was wondering, I was like, yeah, you know, you'd think they try to, um recruit this guy for the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, no kidding. Because, man, that would be cool in the movies, too, but, no, he's gotta, he's gotta leave. He's, he's too cool. But, oh my god. Okay, the story, eh, it's, it's simple. Right. But it's not about the story with this one. The art in this, I have to say, best rendered issue of Star Wars ever up to this point. It Absolutely. Is gorgeous. Yes, it is. I mean, you thought, so, you, in the last issue, you said, hey, these spaceships are looking pretty good. Yeah, well, you know what? They look like a child. N- nothing against Infantino, but man! Oh, this guy you can draw him a Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. And how about page two, that classic shot over the you know, throughout the TIE fighter window. Yeah. Oh, how beautiful is that? I love it. Well, I, I, I mean, he even did a, an extraordinary job with this ship that I'm presuming he, that he made up because we've never seen this before. Right. The, the ship that Luke and Leia are flying in, it looks like almost a cross between like the Tantive four and like a Y wing fighter, but it's really cool looking. Yeah. It looks and, like a star Wars ship. It fits right yeah. into the, the whole thing. And, let me tell you, he, where Infantino likes to draw Leia's boobs, he likes to draw Leia's butt. Oh yeah, boy, he he renders it in lovely bubbly. He all of a sudden he would. <laughs> this is a comic book for Sir Mix a lot. I'll tell you that right now, because all of a sudden Princess Leia's got a little bubble in the little junk in the trunk, <laughs> space junk in the space trunk. She's been eating some some bonbons. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like page ten. Where she's posed there, kind of, you know, with her with her hips kind of cocked there, and she's got her her hand on her hips, and then she's got that big old blaster. That looks like it's right off of like a Star Wars card or something. Yeah, That's beautiful. I well, love the that. look on her face. The, the look on her face. He just, yeah, he's, you know, now Luke doesn't really look like Mark Hamill in this. He's got that sort of elfin look that sometimes Michael Golden's people get and it works mm-hmm. perfectly with Leia but it doesn't look like Mark Hamill but it still works great oh man but his just body his style art. looks a hell of a lot more like Luke than any time we've yeah. seen well Infantino's been drawing him bigger and buff again lately he's yeah. been drawing him all like ripped out again yeah Plus. I noticed that in the last issue we reviewed that you know, there was that one scene where Luke had his jacket off and he was back in his little <laughs> yeah, quarters. Yeah, he's like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he had, he had that great big bodybuilder neck. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, he's... Yeah. This makes me want to go back and, and read Micronauts. Even that, that robot he's fighting it looks like a Micronaut. You know what I mean? He looks like Bug or something. From, yeah. And, uh, but boy, it's just awesome. And a living ship is just made for Michael Golden to draw. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's got that great organic feel to him. Now, I've got a bit of history with with this particular issue. This was an issue that I don't know that it really is rare or hard to find, but for my personal collection, 
this was the hardest one for me to ever find. I don't know what the story was. I, maybe it's simply because at the time I was looking for it, Michael Golden was still like huge because uh-huh. Micronauts was, was still like one of those really hot books and really right. expensive and all that. You know, this would have been, you know, late, late, you know, mid to late eighties when I was hunting this and I ended up having to track it down at a, at a comic book shop in Syracuse. And I think I paid a good little bit for it, but I had never seen it. And I'm telling you after, you know, growing up on Infantino's star Wars for the most part, Infantino, and then suddenly getting this, it was like, wow. But it's like you said, this issue is completely about the art because I never thought that much of the story. It's not that it's a bad story, but you know what this is? It's just a simple little Twilight Zone idea concept sort of thing. I think this is a this is a, a Marvel Star Trek issue. Yeah. Very much feels like one of those Marvel Star Treks that were like, eh, at best, story-wise. It very much feels like that because it doesn't really fit with the flavor of Star Wars, and it totally doesn't fit with what's been going on up to this point. Plus, we've got Luke in his, you know, he's back in his Tatooine outfit. Leia is back in her, you know, her Star Wars outfit, you know, the, the buns in her hair and the, and the, and the princess dress. So it, this totally feels like something that should have been taking place, like, right after the movie, not just before right. Empire. I mean, this is the issue right before Empire. So I, I think this issue would have really worked better if there had been, like, a editor's note right on page one that says this adventure takes place after issue 12 or something you know well i think what happened uh, my my theory is what happened with this is since they said the empire was supposed to be starting Mm -hmm. this issue maybe they couldn't get it going or they changed their plan or something and i have a feeling you know i mean the reason one of the reasons well michael golden's a great artist but one of the reasons i'll bet you this looks better than what infantino does is I'll bet you Michael Golden took his sweet-ass time making this, you know, mm-hmm. and was like, I want to do it that Star Wars. Can I have an episode or an issue? And they said, okay, we'll write you one that could take place at any point in time in it, you know, just right. a, a side adventure by a couple characters and, and you know, that just sort of has something that you can make a nice, pretty story for. And he worked on it and worked on it, and they had it in the can. And all of a sudden, they needed to tread water for a month while you know they got empire out and they put this up you know that's that's my theory of probably how it worked well there's there's two questions there's two burning questions i have about this issue that uh you know i'll just throw it out there that you know you and i are trying to get michael golden to to join us to talk about this issue you know no promises i'm waiting to hear back but hopefully we'll be able to get him but the two things i want to know is What's what's basically the origin story of this particular issue? You know, was was this uh-huh. already in the can? Was this something he did as a rush job? I really want to know what the origin of this particular story is. You know, was it intended for an annual, or was it literally just you know they called him up and said, "Hey, we need a quick fill-in issue. Can you slap one together?" Because if this is slapped together, it's fucking amazing. Well, I was going to say if this is a if this is a rushed filler issue i'd love you know i'd love to see what would happen when he takes his time because it's yeah. i mean it's beautifully rendered and detailed and i'm looking on page 26 at just a shot of the blob thing like the explosions on it as the tie fighters are shooting him but mm-hmm. damned if those explosions don't look like star wars explosions oh yeah absolutely you know they uh, i mean 
there's just a lot of a lot of detail and just awesomeness and the way the way the tie fighters lasers are drawn i love that style it mm-hmm. sort of almost goes back to the early chaken issues yes but there's more precision to the michael golden stuff. Think- and i love his style i love the like fluid and organic yet at the same time super detailed you know the technology looks very well rendered and the natural stuff looks like real natural stuff you know see i like that the mechanical stuff looks like it works like you look at at page seven at the bottom where leia's getting out of the ship and there's all those mechanics of the the landing strut and the uh, and the hatchway yeah. and all that everything you can see exactly how it works like where the hydraulics are and how the the, the ramp ratchets down and all that I, I love that I think that's beautiful mm-hmm. that he took the time to figure out okay this is how this would open and that's how this would retract and you yeah. know it's really it's it, it's not just one of these big Kirby machines that you know if you look at it closely enough you go well that couldn't really work right it you know, looks or, or exist yeah. in three dimensions you know you can see this you can see the ramp going clank 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 clank, clank down the yep. gears on the on the sort of clockwork gears on the you know on it on the side of it so because there have been a lot of times over the years where i'll look back at like an old issue of fantastic four for example and as amazing as some of those really wild machines that Kirby would come up with for Reed Richards to work with, if you look at it and study them close enough, you'll realize that some of those things can't exist in three dimensions. You know, it, it works two-dimensionally on a comic book page, but if you were to actually try to render it, right, build you it. know, you were like, whoa, wait a minute, that, that can't exist, you know? So it's pretty, you know, that's pretty cool that this stuff here looks very... Very real. Well, the other thing I was going to mention that that I'd love to know about this is, uh, along with what is the origin of this issue and this story that's in here and everything, you know, basically what is Michael Golden's story behind this? I'd also like to know what why did Empire get bumped back an issue? I, I tried uh-huh. to look this up, and there was a, a sort of a I'm going to call it a half-assed explanation, only because I didn't understand it. It was up on Wikipedia. And it said something about Marvel was rolling out some new distribution system. And in order to, I don't know, in order to cement the deal or make the deal work or whatever, that Empire had to basically start with the next issue. But it didn't really explain why. It it explained, you know, just that much of the story that they had to bump it back. But why why exactly? Why was the deal hanging on this? So I'd really like to know what, what the mechanics are behind all that, but. Yeah, fantastic issue. I just, you know, this, I just don't think very much of the story. But it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just I, I don't really care for Star Wars stories where they're they're too science fictiony. Because to me, Star Wars isn't really science fiction. It's it's space adventure, you know. And this really feels more like a Star Trek story with the living machine and all that than it does like a like an actual Star Wars yeah. story. Yeah, it's basically just a chance for the living machine to tell his story, is all right. it is. Basically, right. that's all it is. But that's okay. It was awesome looking at that happen. It literally is the best-looking Star Tra- Star Wars ever. Up to so this ne- point. So next time around, the Empire Strikes oh, Back. Oh, yeah. First three... Ch- now, this, again, this, this is presented... 
in six chapters, just like the first movie was. So we'll be covering, you know, the, the first three chapters, basically half the movie, and then we'll wrap it up. Now, now let me ask you, do we want to do any sort of, uh, of Empire it's well, coverage at this point? It's possible because we were going to do it every 10th one, and it'll be close. I mean, it'll be close to our 10th to our 20th uh, Comic Monthly Monday or uh, Comic Monthly Monday Star Wars Monthly Monday by the time we get to Finishing Empire so we yeah we might want to do the movie we'll, we'll, either way we'll be doing the movie soon after right. it comes out in the comics cool yeah I look forward to that I, I've been itching to discuss uh, Empire do, do well just do more movie yeah. commentary in general yeah but especially Empire being you know one of my top two favorite movies of all time absolutely well, before we go, I just want to throw out there, you know, if you're if you're loving the Star Wars comics, and especially if you if you grew up like Chris and I reading these uh, Marvel Star Wars comics as a kid, and, and you're looking for kind of that that fix as an adult, check out Dark Horse's uh, Star Wars Adventure series that they're putting out. There was one that I just read recently called uh, Princess Leia and the Royal Ransom. Man, it was great. I really, really dug it. And it totally gave me the vibe of those old Marvel comics from when I was a kid. So check that out. It wasn't terribly expensive, and it's a great, fun adventure. You know, it's not terribly deep or anything, but uh, you'll get a kick out of it. And the art was fantastic. So check that out. Yes, and we'll be back next month with The Empire Strikes Back, and we'll have our coverage of The Clone Wars returning, and God only knows what else, but it'll be <laughs> Star Wars-y. Hey, come back and join us next week for Star Trek. Yes. And and that is getting close. That, like this one, is getting close to the release of Star Trek 3, which you will also be hearing. You'll be hearing about Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 2 this month in the future. So, mm-hmm. keep your ears open. One, two, cha-cha-cha. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, let there be our wars, every day, and Star Wars, all we need is Star Wars, let there be Star Wars. Star Wars are How about the creatures They were there And how about Darth Vader's mask He was wacky and as evil As the day And a cool helmet too Star Wars Nothing but Star Wars It always seems like Our wars Are Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O 
T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.